David goes to fight Goliath with a shepherd's weapon. He runs to fight Goliath like a shepherd running to protect his sheep. And that's precisely the image that God wants us to see as David runs out saying, I will not fight this battle with the weapons of the world. Now verse 37, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So you hear the confidence there of David. Verse 38, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed them with a coat of mail. By the way, that's a different word than the, the word translated coat of mail that describes Goliath's armor. This is a different word here. So David's not putting on armor of scales. So he put on a coat of mail and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So oftentimes we, we think of the armor as, as being too heavy for David, but that's not what the text says. The text says, he, David says, I can't do this because I haven't tested it. Might mean it's too heavy or it might just mean David says, I haven't done this. I, I'm not used to this. I'm not accustomed to armor. This is not how I'm going to fight. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistines. So in other words, here's what David is saying. David is saying, I will not go out to fight Goliath with weapons like he has. I will not go and fight Goliath. I will not go and fight the representative of the kingdom of evil with the same weapons that the kingdom of evil uses. I will go out and I will fight the kingdom of evil with a shepherd's tools. That's what he takes. He takes a shepherd. David goes to fight Goliath with a shepherd's weapon. He runs to fight Goliath like a shepherd running to protect his sheep. And that's precisely the image that God wants us to see as David runs out saying, I will not fight this battle with the weapons of the world. I will not fight this battle with the weapons that the people choose and the people fashion. I will fight this battle with the shepherd's weapons. He conquers the forces of darkness as a shepherd, not as a warrior. Verse 41, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Now, we may make too much of this, but perhaps not. He says to David, you're coming to me with sticks? Jesus also came against the kingdom of evil with sticks. His were two that were bound together to form a cross. And he assaults the kingdom of evil likewise with two sticks as well, doesn't he? And the Philistine cursed, cursed David by his gods. So David comes against 
the Philistine. And the Philistine says, you're coming against me with a shepherd's staff, a bunch of sticks. Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So through his death, through the cross, Jesus attains this victory. Likewise, David, through the shepherd's tools, through the staff and the shepherd's sling, attains the victory. Colossians 2 and verse 14, He canceled the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to those two sticks, nailing it to the cross. Christ's weapon, His weapon against the weapons of the kingdom of evil, His weapon is to lay down His life. His weapon against the forces of sin is to become His people's sin. And his weapon against death is to lay down his life in death. Just as David's weapon against the Philistine was the weapons of the shepherd. Now verse 44, the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give, you your fle- I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David comes to him in whose name? In the name of Yahweh. David doesn't come to Goliath in the strength of the choice of the people. He doesn't come to him and say, Goliath, I am here because the people behind me chose me, because they have put their faith in me, because they put their trust in me. And so by their name, I'm coming to you. That's not what David says. He says, I come to you in the name of Yahweh, of the Lord of hosts. Likewise, Jesus also came in the same way. John 5 and verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, he says. Luke 19 and verse 38, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So God will come up against this representative of the kingdom of evil, and He will come against him with the most unconventional of weapons in the most unconventional of ways. In the same way that David comes up against Goliath in this unconventional means, so also Christ comes up against the monster, the giant that faces us by just as unconventional means. Jesus Jesus destroys death by becoming death. Jesus destroys sin by becoming sin. Jesus destroys pride by taking up humility. In the same way, David comes against the Philistine with a sling and stones and a shepherd's crook. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The power of God that is foolishness to the world is that which saves sinners. The staff of a shepherd and the sling of a shepherd, which was foolishness to Goliath, is the one that saves Israel. You see the comparison. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God delights in doing the impossible through the most unconventional of means. He delights in doing the impossible through that which humans would disdain and say that is foolishness in the same way that they, they were saying to David as he was stepping out there, this is foolish for you to even be going much less to be going without armor. This is foolishness. But that is how God delights to defeat 
the enemy. Now verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. So in other words, David says, those who are going to witness this are not just the armies of the Philistines, but also the assembly of God's people. David's going to do this so that the enemies will see this, but also so that God's people will see this, just as Christ will hang on that cross so that the enemies of God will not only will be the ones to see it, but also God's people will also see this as well. So the, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Notice David doesn't say he will give you into my hand. He says, the Lord will give you into our hand because David's victory is our victory. Just like Jesus' victory is our victory. David's victory is the people's victory. It's the army's victory. Just like Jesus' victory is our victory. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear that? That God gives us the victory by means of his victorious work on the cross. Verse 48, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Now, the text does not say that the stone killed him. So let's look carefully to this episode and let's ask... What killed Goliath? So the stone hits him in the forehead, sinks into his forehead. He falls on his face. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. After taking the sword, we are told that he killed him. Now, he said that he's killed him in the previous verse. He struck the Philistine and killed him. But that also could just mean that through this whole course of events, the Philistine ended up dead. David slung the stone through the stone. The Philistine fell down. But then we're told specifically that David killed him after he took the sword and cut off his head with it. So what's the significance here? David kills the giant. Not with a stone, but the stone renders the giant powerless. The stone incapacitates the giant. The stone will be the, the means of the giant's death because the stone incapacitates the giant so that the sword will then cut off his head. So David kills Goliath in two steps, two phases. The first is knock him out with the stone. The second is draw out his sword and kill him with his own sword. So two things to see. First, David kills his enemy with his enemy's own weapon. He draws out his sword and kills his enemy with his own weapon. Hebrews 2, once again, we are told that through death he might destroy the power of the one who has the power of death. So through death through his enemy's own weapon, because death is Satan's weapon. Through our enemy's own weapon, Christ takes his weapon out of his hand and slays him with it. 
just as David takes the giant's weapon, his own sword, and slays him with it. 1 Corinthians 15 says the same thing. Death, where's your victory? Where is your, where is your sting? Death is, death is swallowed up in the victory of Christ. So Christ defeated death by death's own enemy. Christ defeated Satan by Satan's own weapon. Just as David killed Goliath by his own weapon. But now let's look closely once again at this whole two-step process of death. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine, killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51, and David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. So there's this two-step killing of the giant, the rock, then the stone. So what is it that David specifically kills? What does he specifically crush? It's the head, right? I mean, all the attention is there on the head. He first hits him in the head, and then he cuts off the head. So everything is focused on the head, which reminds me, of course, of Genesis 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is this prophecy spoken to the woman, speaking of the woman's offspring. Your offspring, you will have your heel bruised by your enemy, but your offspring will bruise the head of your enemy. So David here is a offspring of the woman. Goliath here is an offspring of the serpent. Remember, he's dressed like a serpent. So Goliath, as the offspring of the serpent, he serves on behalf of the serpent who is out to bruise David's heel. But the prophecy is that the offspring of the woman will bruise his head, which is precisely what David does in the stone and then the cutting off of the head. So David here is, is, is the offspring that attacks the head and kills by way of the head. The enemy first is, re, is rendered powerless with the, with the stone, and then the sword comes along to finish it off. So now let's think for just a minute about what else in Scripture is a stone. And let's just recall how we are told repeatedly that Christ is a stone. We are told in places like 1 Peter chapter 2 that, uh, Behold, I'm laying in, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. A stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Or Matthew 21, verse 44, The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when anyone falls on it, it will crush him. So here... Not only is there the image of a stone, but there's the image of the stone crushing, crushing those who won't believe. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Ephesians 2, and verse 20, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the, and the prophets, Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, and we could go on. Because we, we recognize that we are told an abundant number of times that Christ is like a stone. He's like a stone, not just a stone, not just a cornerstone. He's also a cornerstone, but he's also a stone of crushing, a stone of offense. Now, there's another place that we read about a stone. And that's in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. 
Sunday we were in Daniel chapter 3, but if we backed up to chapter 2 and looked at the vision, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the dream which is the dream of the statue with the four types of material. There's the feet of clay, there's the the legs of iron, there's the, the trunk, the breast of silver, and there's the head of gold. And those represents the kingdoms of man. And, the, and it's all the head of it all is the kingdom of, it, of evil. Nebuchadnezzar is the head, the king of the kingdom of evil. But then if we were to follow through and continue with the rest of that dream, we would, we would see that these, these kingdoms, the kingdom of evil, is destroyed by a stone. In fact, a stone that was not cut by human hand. From Daniel chapter 2, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Are you seeing the connection? That there comes the first phase of the death of the kingdom of evil. And the first phase of the death of the kingdom of evil comes when the kingdom of evil is incapacitated by a stone that crushes it. So also the representative of the kingdom of evil is incapacitated by a stone flung from a shepherd that incapacitates the representative of the kingdom of evil. But then there comes a sword that the representative of the kingdom of good takes the sword and then kills in the final killing, the final death of the representative of the kingdom of evil kills him with the sword. The sword is yet to come for we're told that Christ will return and he will have a sword. So you see how the death of the kingdom of evil is portrayed in two phases. The first we are in right now when the kingdom of evil is incapacitated. Just like Goliath lying there unconscious. The kingdom of evil is incapacitated. The kingdom of evil has no power over you whatsoever. The kingdom of evil cannot touch the people of God, not even a little bit, unless God ordains it for your good purpose. Satan cannot touch you because he's like the unconscious Goliath laying there, having been struck by the stone, the stone that will crush its enemies. But the day is coming when the one whom David foreshadowed returns with the sword to finish the killing and to kill the representative, to kill the kingdom of evil once and for all. Aren't the connections astounding? Verse 52, and the men of Israel and Judah arose with a shout. I think there of the shout that we're told about that we will hear when Christ splits the eastern sky. Verse 52, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. So I think there of the Uh, the Israelites plundering the Egyptians when they were set free from the bondage of slavery and they plundered the Egyptians. Here we're told that they plundered the camp. And so the victory, the plunder of David's victory goes to his people. Just as the plunder of Jesus's victory goes to his people. In both senses, the people, the armies of Israel 
They were the ones who received the plunder from David's battle. Just like we are the ones who receive the plunder from Jesus's battle. Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs of what, brothers and sisters? All things. David is given victory over the giant and the people benefit. Jesus attains victory over Satan and we are the ones who benefit. Now, the central point of this passage, I hope is plain and clear to all of us. Sometimes we all feel like that we face these giants in our life. The giant of this difficulty at work or this difficulty at home or difficulty of marriage or whatever. And we want to turn to a story like this and find in it the comfort that God will give you the victory. He will give you the victory over your giants. But brothers and sisters, let me just tell you that that is taking one of the richest passages of Scripture and stripping it down to a bare shadow of what it really is. Because what it's really saying to you is that the greatest giant of all, the giant that would steal your soul, the giant that would condemn you to torment for eternity, has already been defeated on your behalf and you are given the plunder, the kingdom that benefits from that. You are given that. And so in light of that, what could any other giant in your life really do to you? That's the real point. What could man really do to you? Seeing that the kingdom of evil who seeks to kill you and condemn you to hell has been defeated. What can man or anything in this world really do for, to you? What, what could man take from you that would really matter? That's what God wants us to see and to take from the story. Will God defeat some of the lesser giants in your life? Sure, sometimes He does that, sometimes He doesn't. But I promise you this, He uses every single one just like he used this one. Did you notice how Goliath was just pictured as this tool that God used for his purpose? There was never any threat from Goliath. He could have been nine feet tall or 19 feet tall. There was never any threat from him. Instead, he was a tool in the hand of the living God. As he said for those 40 days, will you just trust me? Forget how tall he is. Forget what he's wearing. Just trust me. But we couldn't. You see? They couldn't. Just like we couldn't. Until God does that work for us. Just like David did the work for Israel. So God does that work for us. And doing that work for us, he can then say, here are the spoils of what I have done, of what I have accomplished on your behalf.